Hello, friends, and welcome to Conversations with Consequences. We are the radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association, where we aim to change the culture one conversation at a time. You can listen to Conversations with Consequences on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. Eastern, or catch the Encore at 5 p.m. We are also on Sirius XM Channel 130. Of course, our radio show is always a podcast. Go to thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts or directly to wherever you listen to your podcasts. At the bottom of the hour, my TCA colleague Lee Sneed joins me to talk with music and film director Adam Anders about his new movie, Journey to Bethlehem, a Christmas musical which is coming to theaters on November 10th. But first, if you are a parent, you will have had or will have the, the following experience. You will have raised your children very, very carefully, instilling in them all the virtues that you know are the, the only thing keeping us from keeping us in the straight and narrow and helping us to, to flourish in our lives as we grow. You will have instilled in them a love of God, of family, of country, and otherwise equip them for the great adventure of life. And then you send them off to college with a lot of fear and trepidation. And let's face it, the fear and trepidation are very justified. We've seen just recently since October 7th, since the terrible happenings of October 7th, we've seen college, college campuses across the country erupt in, in celebrations of, of genocidal violence. It makes you wonder, what is going on? Uh, myself, I have my third child now is in, well, my fourth is, is in the middle of their college years. And I've seen some crazy things. I've heard some terrible things from, from my children seen it with my own eyes, of the kinds of things that, that they're exposed to in, in a university environment. And it's, it's, it's saddening and it's scary because we do spend all that time forming our children, raising them to young adulthood, and then we relinquish them. So one of the things that, that I have found in these years of, of having college-age children that have been, <laughs> that's, that's been going on for a while is a lot of help from from Catholic resources, from Newman centers in colleges. Uh, and my children have gone to colleges of many different types, private and public. And one thing that I have found um, to be extremely effective and, and so helpful and wonderful is FOCUS. Um, FOCUS is an international Catholic outreach organization that serves nearly 200 college campuses and more than 20 parish communities. And it's made up of young people. They, through Bible studies, mentorship, mission trips, conferences, partnerships uh, with priests, bishops, and parishes, these missionaries walk alongside students in their journey of faith, and they inspire and equip them for a lifetime of Christ-centered evangelization and discipleship. I have personally experienced this through my children and how valuable this experience with focus is. So today, I wanted to invite to talk to us a typical focus missionary. His name is Javier, and he has been following my son, who is will be turning 20 soon. He's 19. He's in his second year of college at the University of Miami nearby. And he has been paying beautiful attention to my son. It's It's been a wonderful experience for him and for his whole family. Welcome to the show, Javi. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm very, very happy to have you. Your your whole name is Javier Lugo, 
And, and I explained to our listeners that you have been working closely with my fourth son, my fourth child, my third son, who is now a sophomore in college. And I have been very happy to get to know you a little. I don't know you very well, but I hope to know you better after this interview. And I've been very, um, very, uh, I can't tell you how, how, how joyful it makes me when William, my son, talks to me about all the different ways that, that you and missionaries like you uh, from Focus <clears throat> keep uh, keep your you know keep your 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 eyes fixed on on these young people and your attention fixed on them and offer them so much in these very formative years of their lives. So Javi, tell us please how you where are you from and how did you end up uh, as a focus missionary at the University of Miami? Uh, thank you so much. And uh, first, I just want to start uh, saying that the pleasure has been mine. <laughs> William has been incredible and i'm sure i'll have some more time to maybe share a little bit more about him and you know my experience specifically in miami but yeah so uh i am originally from nicaragua so i was born and raised there uh, in a very catholic household when uh, yeah growing up and i was there until i was 19 and so when i was in college over there in nicaragua uh the possibility for transferring to the united states uh came up and Knowing the state of, of the country at the time, I, I decided, me and my parents decided that it was going to be best for me to take the opportunity and uh, try to study abroad, I guess. In this case, it was the United States. And so in 2015, I moved to California. I transferred into um, USC, the uh, University of Southern California. So I moved to LA in August of 2015. Again, I was 19 years old there then. Uh, when I moved to California, I knew my faith was very important to me already. And I knew that the first thing that I needed to do was to uh, find my Catholic community. That had been such a pivotal uh, and important part of my walk of faith in Nicaragua. So I really was convinced that that was my next step uh, as I entered, you know, this new country, this new city, uh, this new everything. And so in 2015, uh, yeah, when I arrived at USC, I was very blessed to uh, be connected with the Newman Center right away. They have a beautiful Catholic center, beautiful church, uh, the USC Caruso Catholic Center, Our Savior Parish. And uh, I felt like uh, just like at home there. So I started, you know, making new friends. I started to learn so many new things, learn about different cultures, different people. And I think that's when I first actually encountered the missionaries. So yeah, I was at mass uh, one of the days and yeah, some of the missionaries approached me and, you know, first, you know, when they were introducing themselves there, they were like, yeah, we're missionaries. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? Like, you know, usually missionaries like are in like Africa or third world countries or something <laughs> like what, what do you mean you're a missionary? And so little by little understanding how, yeah, the, the poverty that they were uh, seeking to eradicate was not necessarily corporal or material poverty, but, but the spiritual poverty. And little by little, I started to get involved with focus. I joined the Bible study. I joined one of our programs that is uh, called discipleship and, and uh, I, yeah, was uh, challenged and uh, to in, 
to grow in my faith. I was challenged to frequent the sacraments more and more. I was challenged to really fall in love with Jesus. And uh, I was, you know, we promised, you know, that, yeah, after that, that everything was going to fall into place when it comes to like my life and uh, how, yeah, out of the sudden, you know, a lot of the maybe different trials and tribulations were going to seem a little bit like easier to go through with Jesus. And so my faith continued to grow and grew. And uh, I did my undergrad in industrial and systems engineering. And uh, during my senior year, I started to feel this call to, to, to do something different that um, I think, yeah, it was just very clear to me. It was revealed to me that yeah, I was not going to be fulfilled with that type of job and that for me particularly uh, the Lord was calling me to to something else to something a little bit more radical to something that would require more sacrifice not just maybe like um, all the preparations I received in college uh, when it comes to my academics but uh, really a, a life a, a big life decision and so that's when I started discerning about focus and this is the short version, I guess. But mm-hmm. later on, I decided to yeah to join. So I applied, and uh, yeah, in it was December of 2017, my senior year, where I received an offer. I said yes, and yeah, I joined staff on June of 2018, and I've been on staff ever since. So this is I'm starting my sixth year on staff, and I've been in three different universities, but most recently University of Miami. And what kind of training did you have to go through in order to be staffed at a university? So Focus, actually, uh, I'm just very, very uh, blessed to um, to say that uh, our, our trainings are, are truly phenomenal. So uh, we have uh, three different um, stages, I guess, to um, our training uh, and uh, yeah, to divide it in three different phases. But uh, the, the, the four main um, parts, I guess, or content are divided in human formation, spiritual formation, apostolic formation, and then, uh, basically evangelization or outreach. And so, uh, the first part of our, of our training, uh, we get together for around maybe four weeks or a month, uh, with the other missionaries and, we just, yeah, live a very radical month uh, in a way in which, yeah, we go to Mass every single day. We have time for prayer every day, time to pray the rosary. We have different uh, classes that we attend, and we're put in different small groups um, or colleges, as we call it. And uh, with those groups throughout the month, you uh, you meet up every single day to kind of review the topics, to very very much uh, let the information and the content sink in. So we have some of yeah the best uh, professors and, and people that are sharing um, some of this content. And all this goes from uh, the very basics, you know, on human formation to uh, apologetics to then um, yeah prayer. We have a retreat through it all, and yeah, just a time to grow uh, in fellowship, prayer, the sacraments, and apostolic teaching, and. Uh, after we go, after we are done with that first part of training, then we'll move into the second part, which uh, it's basically fundraising. So, um, yeah, we as missionaries, we fundraise uh, our salaries. So the second part is uh, we go out to share this good news and to ask the Lord and some yeah different supporters, I guess, that to 
to ask for them to support the church in this particular mission. And then on the third phase, we come together um, to the university that you've been assigned to with your team, which usually is around four people, depending on the campus. And we do our last final uh, type of formation in which yeah, we do a lot of outreach and a lot of case studies and uh, um, a lot of things that pertain to um, the specific campus where you're gonna where you have been placed. Well, you told me lots of interesting things. Um, first of all, when you said that you you heard about being missionaries, and of course you thought darkest Africa and uh, far away, right, deep in the east where people have never heard yeah. of Christ. Uh, but you are being told that it's it's actually in places like college campuses in the United States where missionaries are needed. I I completely concur. That's been my experience. Also, people people in the West in the post it's a post Christian society. People think they know who Jesus is and what the church mm-hmm. teaches, and I think very often they don't at all. They don't have any real concept. And and so how wonderful that you're a missionary at home, as it were, even though you're not in Nicaragua. Um, you're here. And, and how wonderful. I remember the first time my son, William, said to me, I said, what are you doing tomorrow? It was like a Thursday. And he said, well, tomorrow morning, I'm getting very early. My missionary is having a Bible study. <laughs> and I said, you're a missionary? <laughs> it was such a funny way to refer it to me, to refer to somebody. You're his particular missionary. I said, okay, well, you're, you're a savage, so that's perfect. You need a missionary. <laughs> yep. So how wonderful and... You're very good at it, Javi. You, you, I know from from listening to my son and to his friends who I've met that also that also attend um, your Bible study and your other the other things that Focus does in their campus as means of formation and fellowship. That you have a real um, a real gift when it comes to to making bonds of friendship with with younger people um, in that in that delicate stage. Of their of their lives, right? Eighteen to to twenty two, yeah. more or less. So that's really yeah. wonderful. You also mentioned that um, that you have to re- fundraise your your own salaries. So that's a very interesting thing about focus. I mean, it's it's a it's a whole other layer of difficulty, right? That's added onto your life um, to have to say, well, yeah. I have to. <laughs> it's not like I'm signing up to a big order where they're gonna they're gonna ship me here and there and make sure that I eat that day. You also have to fundraise your salary and and from there, your all your living expenses. I I presume. Yes. Yeah. So that must it, be that must be difficult. I don't think fundraising is is easy for most people. Is is that very difficult for you? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, it's. Um, I think. Yeah. Once when I was uh, discerning to whether or not become a missionary, that was definitely a big obstacle. And I, I will say that focus prepares you very well on how to do it. Uh, so that is definitely a big plus. But for me personally, um, especially at the beginning, I. <laughs> I was like, okay, Jesus, you know, like it, it seems that you want this for me. Um, now, you know, I cannot ask anyone from back home uh, because the things, the situation was very, very difficult in other country at a time. And so everyone that I'm going to be inviting into this mission in a way is going to have to be anyone that I've met this past few years that I've been in the United States in California and which hasn't been that many you know, like people with jobs have been mainly like people my age. And so if you really want me to be a missionary, then you're going to have to provide with all my efforts, you know, and, and with everything that I can do and put into the table. But I'm going to need 
all of your help. And, you know, through the grace of God, uh, I, yeah, I was able to get the funds necessary to, to go on mission. And yeah, the Lord has been so, so, so generous. And I yeah, reminded of his faithfulness and how it can be very wrong just to think about all the people and their generosity and all that they had to sacrifice in order for me to be sent on mission and, you know, bring the good news of Christ to the college. Do you, uh, do you, they must, they must really feel that their money is well spent, that this is a very uh, important mission that you have among, among the young people. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a sacrifice, right? And, and there's so many, there's so many good causes that we can, that we can be charitable with. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that this is um, very, it's crucial. These are the young people that will be running the world, Right. Right here in America, yeah. the leading country of the world, and these are our young, our young elites, yeah. as it were, the the young, the creep of the crop at, at these college campuses, learning and how wonderful that their faith is also is also growing and that they're growing in friendship with Christ. Now, tell me, how do you get um, seven or eight or nine young men um, to come to a Bible study at seven thirty in the morning? <laughs> on a friday how do you do that give us give us your secret because all of us would like to use some of your techniques on our children yeah um well first and foremost prayer obviously you know that's that's got to be there uh and i think uh kind of going back to a point that you were making um and i think you, you're you're so right um the most common answer that I have gotten specifically from men who are in college, specifically on freshman year, it's that they feel lonely. Oh. Uh, and uh, I think that is just a reality that uh, it's really heartbreaking and maybe, you know, it kind of makes sense, you know, the first time out of the house, first time maybe with other parents around and trying to make it into the, this new place, no, 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 no friends really at the beginning. And, um, a lot of them, you know, are trying to just, yeah, get this group of friends that, yeah, maybe at times they don't even feel super comfortable with, uh, or they don't feel like they, that they belong or they don't feel like maybe they don't, yeah, don't want to do the things that they are doing. Uh, but in order to fit in, in order to get that group of people, um, they you know are willing some of them to i don't know maybe yeah do things that they wouldn't have done otherwise and so and and, and i bring that up because that is one of our, our our pillars uh here in focus um which is authentic friendship try to not just develop uh an authentic friendship with the students but then also provide a place in which authentic friendship virtuous friendship can foster and uh, I think that's what happened for this particular group. Um, so uh, William, uh, for the audience, you know, he's a sophomore right now. And so last year as a freshman, that's when I met him. That's when I met a few other of the young men who are part of the Bible study. And, uh, you know, all of these uh, uh, young men were in different spots in, in, in their faith. Some of them maybe were raised Catholic. Some of them uh, would go to mass here and there. I even had a few non-Catholics during the Bible study and uh, everyone was, you know, in, in different places, but for at least one hour a week when they would come for Bible study, uh, they would all just uh, really focus on one, on one thing. 
which it was Jesus in Scripture. And so it was through the study of the Word together and combined that with some fun activities, going to get pizza, watch movies, uh, different things that was going to hopefully... Um, increased, I guess, like the friendship um, um, among the guys. Um, that just made Bible study a big, you know, for most of them, like a, a big priority for the week. And so out of the sudden, I didn't have to, you know, be begging most of them to like come to Bible study, but uh, they were actually very excited. And so, um, you know, a semester and all, all this requires time, right? So, um you know, a semester passed and then it was the second semester of freshman year. And uh, more and more, I was able to see how, yeah, these students were, uh, were starting to be, be, become friends outside of Bible study, which that, that is always a big goal of ours. Um, because with that, now they have some support outside of that one hour a week. And whenever they are hanging out outside, whenever they are getting together, then they can support each other. They can call each other higher. Uh, out of the sudden, they're not going to feel uh, that lonely and they're not going to feel crazy for the different maybe actions or decisions that they are making. I like, and, I like that phrase, Javi, call each other higher, right? Because you're, what you're saying is that there are these, you're, you're fomenting these friendships, you're creating these friendships, but they're, they're the kind of friendships where they all rise higher together. That's a very rare thing on yes. college campuses, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yep, no, 100%. And so it's, 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 with, it's with this desire within their hearts to become more like Christ, to become more virtuous, that then that almost like infuses in, in, in the friendship and that, that helps them like be better. And so this past, so, you know, we finished freshman year and now it was time for sophomore year. So in August of this year. And I'm like trying to figure out a time for all of us, for all of us. And, you know, like I, I usually try my best to not try to separate the group. If there are like, if there's no, like not, not a single time that works for everybody. So I said, okay, guys, I know, I think 7am is like the only time that works for everybody on Friday. So that's just for one week. Just for, give me one week that we all come at 7 a.m. for us to like come put all of our schedules together and we can figure it out the time. <laughs> Thinking, you know, that like it's going to be a one one time thing and that, um, yeah, that, it, that, that was going to be it, that we're going to figure it out some other time. So we we come at 7 a.m. I bring like pastelitos. They're all like here on time and it's great. I was very, very pleased with that. And then when we get all of our schedules together, and let me tell you, these college students are, are just crazy, crazy busy. Uh, but then at the end, they're like, yeah, the only time available is 7.30 a.m. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Not that I was that, like, obviously I'm excited, but, you know, 7.30. So I was like, okay, guys, here's the thing. I am more than willing to do it at 7.30 a.m. on Fridays. If you can tell me right now that you are going to make this a priority and that you're actually going to, you know, treat this as, you know, something that you're yeah, going to try to do every single week because, yeah, I, I'm willing to do this, but, you know, I need your, your guys' word to to actually yeah, go ahead and, and, and plan this. And they, and they all, you know, like the room was kind of divided. They're like, no, it's too early. Other people, let, let's do it another day. But... I think their desire to 
continue to grow in friendship and their desire to continue to learn about the faith uh, was higher than their desire to sleep on a Friday morning. So everyone decided that that was the time. And yeah, we've been meeting yeah, basically every week since the entire semester. And I'm just... Yeah, I just get so excited to to so like so early in the morning. Um, <laughs> yeah, be able to talk about Jesus and be able to see okay, how is he speaking us to us through through Scripture? And um, it's it's been also super fun to see you know who's a morning person who like will not say a single word because it's too early for them. Um, but all in all, has been fantastic. That's a fabulous testimony, Javi, to to your missionary zeal, to the power of the word to the power of, of God's fellowship, right? That that he, he he puts into all of us and then he connects us with with the human beings around us that we need so much in our lives. Yeah. So Javi, you're gonna you're not gonna believe this, but we're out of time. Before you oh. go, Javi, tell us tell our listeners please how they can get in contact with focus, how they can maybe if if they feel called to it, support a missionary uh, doing the amazing work that you do. Yeah, no, awesome. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, I would say to uh, the listeners, uh, to first and foremost, support us with prayer. Um, there, there's a lot of death in our culture, um, especially in the college campus, especially in this country. And prayer is the only thing that's going to be um, like the, the, the solution and that, that, that's what's going to help us um, get through this. I will say also that there's also a lot of hope for the college students and I see that every single day. So yeah, be not afraid and please continue to pray. Uh, a second way, um, I would probably say, um, yeah, if you would like to support, you know, a, a local chapter of focus, we are in around 200 campuses, uh, around the U S and, and abroad. So, you know, if there's a particular school that you would like to support, uh, I'm sure that they yeah, would love to, to get in contact with you. If you want to support focus as, as an apostolate as a whole, and that also is, is, um, it's an opportunity. And then if you wanted to support like a particular missionary, maybe, I don't know, you are very passionate about um, couples, you know, being missionaries, or if you want to support someone um, who is maybe most in need or, you know, someone from a particular state or something like that, um, you can yeah definitely find all that in our website. And uh, yeah, everything, yeah, it's focus.org. Uh, That's where you can uh, find a lot of that information. Um, but yeah, any, obviously prayers and any financial support is more than appreciated. And yeah, we're yeah very grateful for that. Well, thank you so much, Javi. And to our listeners, please pray. You heard it here. It's very necessary. And the future of all of us depends on it. And that's focus.org. Thank you so much, Javi. You're welcome. To the show, Adam. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So, Adam, I'm really excited because uh, right around Christmas time, right before Christmas, I start to hunger for Christmas fare that I haven't mm. seen a thousand times, like the the classics, which are wonderful. But how nice to have something new for this Christmas! Yeah, uh, it's it's fun to bring something new to Christmas. 
and even a little early for those of us who like to pivot immediately after Halloween to Christmas. Uh, we're, yes, <laughs> we're here I for think you. There's a lot. There's a lot more of that going on. I feel <laughs> last night was Halloween, of course, as we all. Well, this is when we're recording the day on, of On All Saints. I can almost feel the people itching to tear down the werewolves and put up their creches, which which is one. I yeah. prefer creches to werewolves myself. I, I agree. <laughs> so, Adam, you bring you bring something, and as far as I can tell, something completely new to the Christmas story, which is a musical. So tell us how, what was the thinking? Why a musical for Christmas? <laughs> yeah, what was I thinking? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I first had this idea, I'm going to make myself sound old, 17 years ago. And it was Christmas and I was just like you going, I need to find something new to watch at Christmas. I'm just, I've seen all these movies a million times. And, but wait a minute, I'm a, I'm a music guy and produce music and write songs. That's what I've done my whole life and made musicals. Why isn't there a musical about the Christmas story? So that's kind of how it began. And I was like, I want to tell the Nativity story as a musical. And so I wrote an 11 page treatment for this movie 17 years ago. And then I've been on this crazy journey, no pun intended, to mm. make it happen. And, and it's been amazing. I can't believe it's coming out now. It's just insane. And the trailer makes it seem like it's going to be funny, too, which I'm really excited about. I have four boys and I have a baby and a teenager and some in the middle. Awesome. And it's hard to find a movie that all of us like and the humor and the music, the Christmas story. Um, mm. I'm just really looking forward to something we can all watch together and everyone's going to like it. That's exactly what I want to hear. That's why we made it. I have two boys as well. So this is one of those rare musicals where boys like it, too, because, you know, historically, mm -hmm. oh, girls like musicals. But no, I got two boys, so I had to make sure they loved it, too. Um, so my <laughs> right. wife and I wrote all the music. We, we wrote all the songs and it's very much a family affair. And the idea was to make it for families. So at Christmas, what do we do? We gather grandparents, grandkids, uncles, cousins, everybody gathers. What do you watch? What can you watch that everyone will like? And especially that has anything to do with Christmas. So that was the mission. Uh, I made it for everybody. And you, you touched on the humor. That was such a big part for me because I know having kids, if it's not funny and if they don't laugh at times, they're not going to, they're going to get bored. They're not going to keep watching. And so every time the, right. the story gets a little bit more serious, I would inject humor and, and keep people laughing and having fun. We did a screening. Uh, yeah, I was in Nashville yesterday in a screening and there were a lot of kids in the audience and I literally teared up because the kids were laughing so much and it just was Oh, so I awesome love that. Yeah. Um, so awesome. Now, did you have any role in the casting? Because I mean, I personally loved Antonio Banderas in Evita, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and I was really excited to see him in another musical film. Did you have him in mind for Herod, like when you wrote that piece? Yeah, you, absolutely. How influential um, could you be for that? Uh, a lot. I mean, eighty percent of directing is casting. Frankly, if you get the casting wow. wrong, you're, there's no fixing it. You can't fix it in post. You know, you have to get that right. So it's really the number one job of the director from the beginning is to make sure you get the cast right. And Antonio for three years was tops of my list. Uh, that's the guy I wanted. And it was kind of, it was a long shot, let's be honest. First time director, not a huge budget movie. And I, I was like, but I just feel like this is the guy. I've seen him in Evita. I've seen him in Fan of the Opera. He's incredible. Uh, and Puss yeah. in Boots and, and all these fun movies, these family uh, movies. I was just not getting anywhere. I was trying to get him. I talked to the manager who loved it for him, but he said, look, Antonio's too busy. He's doing a play that he's directing and starring in. So he doesn't have time to look at it. And I was like, okay, but I just couldn't let go of it. So I kept calling. <laughs> now I'm in Madrid <laughs> prepping for the movie. I've moved over there to shoot. We shot it in Spain. And wow. I call the manager again. I'm like, what can I do to get Antonio to look at this? And he's like, he's just too busy. He's doing this play. I'm like, well, where is it? Where is he doing the play? And he said, in Madrid, Spain. <laughs> and I Amazing. said, well, that's not a coincidence. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we started going to his show. Uh, we started buying tickets. And uh, long story short, finally, uh, I got to meet with him for a few minutes after a show. He was amazing. Uh, he loved the 
idea. He loved, you know, this Herod, this villain that I created. And he just like, let's do it. I love this. I like you. Let's go. So it was a huge moment. Well, I'm excited to wow. see Antonio Banderas as Herod. I hope that he, I'm sure he nails the, that, that yeah. terrible villain he's character. He's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. He's so good. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he's Adam, so good. This is a huge. Did you feel a huge responsibility to to cast uh, these these figures, which who are you know archetypes of everything good for us? The mm, at least mm-hmm. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and mm, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and also the responsibility of presenting this story on which, let's face it, so many billions of lives have been based. Right, like we yeah. all of mm-hmm. us want to be the holy family. All of us want mm-hmm. to emulate Mary and be a good father mm-hmm. like Joseph, and all the ways that mm-hmm. that story activates us and and, mm. and and fills every pore in our, on our skins. So wasn't that a huge responsibility for you? It was. It was. I, I don't take it lightly. You know, I say in the beginning of the movie, this is inspired by true story. And, and two things to, to notice, they're inspired. It's not a documentary, you know, and I know they didn't break into song and dance to pop music. <laughs> probably didn't happen. Right. So I get a little cover. Um, the timeline isn't exactly, you know, there's things, there's creative license that I had to take to, to put in this package that we talked about. So kids will love it and laugh long and it, it'll be digestible to as many people as possible. Uh, but I had to stay true to, to the main tenets of what this story is. It's so important to me. And so many other people and the other thing to, to notice in that is i said true story so the filmmaker believes this i'm a believer and uh so it's very very important to me to get that right and it's you know it, it's a daunting thing uh, and you know you can't make everyone happy you know it, there's a reason there's so many denominations because you know we don't agree on everything and so i just said you know what god give me you know inspiration to just tell the story the way you want me to and that's all i can do and um i stayed on that path and you know it was a huge responsibility but also a huge joy it's like the the most fulfilling thing i've ever done in my career and i've done a lot of stuff every day was just <laughs> a joy it's, it was 17 years in the making um it almost mm. seems again i'm gonna throw around the word providential a lot but here we are mm-hmm. again um you know the, the moment just seems right for the entertainment audience i mean with the success of the chosen and mm. i mean hamilton which obviously was mm-hmm. religious um yeah, thing, but, but i mean I think different. People, like they like mm-hmm. musicals i mean the chosen mm-hmm. i just can't believe the popularity and how well that's been mm-hmm. doing and that also was funny mm-hmm. i i just think you're just hitting at this at this right moment and i think it's going to be a runaway sensation man i, I hope so um, i think you're saying that um yeah. <laughs> i hope so you know the, obviously the strike it's been a little t- difficult to promote oh, and yeah, of um, course. you know it's been a tough time i'm like really god 17 years and it's just there's a strike when i'm coming out <laughs> like, what are you doing but i think god maybe wants to show off you know but he, he gave you antonio banderas so you know he did he's giving me so much balance. yeah he's giving me so much so much has been woven together um i believe in providence as well and this is out of my hands i did my part and now it's going to find its audience you know whoever that's supposed to be and I, i'm at peace with that but yeah I'm, I'm i really believe it's the right time you know if i had tried to make this 17 years ago it would have been a disaster i wasn't ready and god knew that he pushes pause on us sometimes you know like hold on yeah <laughs> you know wait till it's right and i went to film school afraid. for 17 years yeah and 17 years i was working with the best of the best um you know in hollywood learning how to make this movie and now it was my time and and god knew that i didn't you know we all think that our timing's right but it's not you know his timing is perfect and ours is very flawed so i do but i i really that speaks to me when you say that i think it is the right time the world needs some light you know this is a very hopeful, joyful story and brings so much love and peace um, that we need right now. What do you picture, Adam, in, in the minds of the people who walk away from this movie as far as inspiration? Or what do you hope as far how how do you hope that this movie um, lifts them up? I hope it brings joy, first of all, a meaningful joy, like a deeper joy, you know? It's amazing. I, I've watched, I've seen this movie probably a thousand times now. I still tear up at the end. 
Um, the story is so powerful. And I think just to be able to tell people, even in the small way, right? This isn't, it's not the, uh, the whole story, right? This, and, and again, you know, we're putting music, it's a musical and we're having fun with it and we're laughing and we're, we're, um, reverent when we need to be. But I hope at least they walk away knowing what Christmas is really about. It's not Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what Christmas is about. And it's an amazing story. It's a story that should give you hope and meaning and joy in a really tough time. So many people struggle at Christmas more than ever. Um, and especially this year, I think that's true. So yeah, hope, mm-hmm. joy, gather with your family, have fun, and and know what Christmas is about. You said a moment ago that Christmas isn't Santa Claus. I grew up in Mexico. Mm-hmm. I'm Latin American, and mm. Santa Claus to me, uh, coming here in my late childhood or early teens, was so bizarre. Like the whole the whole Santa Claus thing. I was having, mm-hmm. I had trouble mm-hmm. integrating that into my ideas of Christmas, yeah. which were entirely based on the most spectacular, amazing, beautiful story. Uh, mm-hmm. That that was mm-hmm. ever told, mm-hmm. and that and and yep. and that circum that that uh, yes. that those circumstances that actually did happen mm-hmm. one day two thousand some mm-hmm. years ago, in mm-hmm. that little God for God forsaken part of the world, and yeah. um, so Santa Claus, uh, it's weird. It's like a like a weird add on on top of something that doesn't need an add on. So I'm I'm really happy no, yeah. that your movie focus you know focuses our attention back on a story that doesn't need you know elves and. And fat ho-ho-hos. No, and I think, you know, that's kind of what I tried to do with this movie. When I was a kid, I had a storybook Bible, and it was colorful and vibrant, and it made me lean into the story, and I want to read the next page, right? And it was exciting. And then so many biblical movies are not that. They're, they're dirt, you know, nobody smiles, sheep grazing and, and mm-hmm. dust. And, you know, it's just like, what are we doing? And if, of all the times to celebrate uh, it's Christmas, you know, of what this means. And so I wanted to be colorful and vibrant. And honestly... I think the way we frame this movie, you shouldn't need Santa Claus and elves. This is as fun as those stories, but it's true, but it's real. And it's what Christmas is about. So I'm hoping kids will just want to watch this on repeat, you know, instead of elf. Yeah. Um, that would that be amazing. Um, yeah. Um, I really, um, one part you said you uh, have seen the movie so many times and you tear up again at the end. Um, I was found myself tearing up just during the trailer. Um, hmm. The part when, I'm probably going to botch the line, but Mary says to Joseph, I wasn't the only one chosen for this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I love, I love that highlighting of Joseph's role in the Christmas story. You know, he didn't mm-hmm. just lead the donkey, you know, it's, he's, I mean, their, their betrothal. And I love that emphasis mm-hmm. on their family and their yeah. family life and what he has to choose and what he has to give up too. Yeah, I, everyone had to sacrifice, you know, and, yeah. No, exactly. but it's it's. A, I love that you say that because um, it's very much you know Joseph. What what he did was amazing too, right? Mary obviously did the most incredible thing any woman's ever done, and that what she was chosen for. Um, but how hard was that? You know, she should have been stoned for that in that time. He should have left her. I should not have stayed with her, but he stayed with her and he took that stain upon him and his family. He sacrificed for her and they stayed together. It's a beautiful love story, really, at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really remarkable thing that that he did as well. And um, yeah, I just wanted to shine some light on on that. And it's really it makes it relatable, you know, for us in our relationships. And we have to sacrifice more. It's a very it's a very me generation, very selfie. Gen- you know, it's all about you. Whatever makes you happy. But you know what? Right. You know what brings you mean? What brings you meaning in life might just be doing something for someone else. And that's one of the themes in this movie. Adam, this is not your first Sally into into religious um, music and 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 TV. You also. Um, you were executive producer, no, of the uh, event The Passion with Tyler Perry. Mm-hmm. 
Tell mm-hmm. us, tell mm-hmm. us how that. What, what's the connection between the passion and the and the nativity story? You know, um, that's interesting because I had I've been working in Hollywood so long, and and I wanted to tell my stories at some point, and that was the first one I was able to do, and and uh, I had seen it, uh, the passion in uh, Europe. They do it in in Holland, in Amsterdam, and different places, and it's this amazing event. An atheist country, the biggest show every year is this passion play. I'm like, what is going on? So I was able to bring that over and 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 sell it to Fox here, and we did this one night live event, and it was Giancarlo Scanella. Um, it was Prince Royce and it was Tyler Perry and Daughtry and Trisha. It was an amazing cast as well, but very different than this because it was live. It was modern day and it was all covers. It was pop songs used to tell the Easter story. Uh, but I learned a lot from that that I was able to apply to this as well. Um, but this was always in the back of my mind. This is the one I want to do, but this is maybe a step, a building block towards that. Um, and it was, you know, it, it, the success of that helped propel this forward. And I also saw the hunger, as you mentioned earlier, the hunger for new ways to tell these stories. And um, amazing thing, I was in Sweden, I'm Swedish, and um, a friend of mine over there, my neighbor, uh, my parents' neighbor over there is atheist, and we were fishing, and he likes musicals. And he said, hey, I just discovered this musical. My sister teaches religion in high school, and she uses this musical to teach Christianity. And it's amazing. She gave it to me, and I can't stop listening to the soundtrack. And I said, well, what is it? And she, he says, the passion. Oh. <laughs> and I go, well, uh, I did that. Did you not look at the credits? Oh, <laughs> and, just, uh, and just see how these stories can travel on their own, you know, and how they move people. And um so i hope this movie does that as well you know that it just it's something they watch every year and it travels the world and it, it just you know brings brings uh, moves people in some way so the passion was covers but the music in in your current in the journey to bethlehem mm-hmm. is all original it is yeah it's all original it's an original musical yeah wonderful and who i know yeah. steve is stephen curtis chapman is involved so yeah, I started my career as Steven's bass player, believe it or not. Oh, um, look at that. Mm. You know, and one of the themes of the movie also is, you know, God has much bigger plans for you than you can even dream. And, and my dream was to be a bass player. And there I'm, you know, now I'm directing feature films. <laughs> so I'm living proof that God has bigger plans than we do. We sometimes we pray too small, you know, and we yeah, we just gotta we gotta take let God out of his box because he's got big plans for us. But so I was his bass player. And that was a full circle moment. I was I was trying to find. I had this song, brand new, brand new life, which uh, is the end title song, and it's also in the middle of the movie, which is about Mary and Joseph starting their life together, but also the brand new life of Christ coming and the life we have in Him. And I thought, man, who can help me finish this song and sing it? And I go, well, I got to call Stephen. Um, so Stephen finished the song with us, and uh, it's amazing. It's turned out so great. And then We the Kingdom came in as well to feature on it, and uh, that single just came out. Soundtrack comes out uh, on the third. Uh, so a week before the movie on the 10th of November. But uh, yeah, he's amazing. Uh, he's been a mentor and a friend for so long. So it was really fun to get to involve him. Well, Adam, I'm very much looking forward to November 10th to watch this movie. I'll be sitting mm. for sure in the theater with uh, as many uh, people in my family as I can corral. Um, yeah, I love that you're from Mexico. You know, Fiona's from Mexico. Oh, the is she played uh, Mary? Yeah, Mary. Yeah, she plays Mary. She's, she's from Mexico. She's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing wow. in the movie. Yeah. You know, I and, always and think... also her sister is Mexican. Mariah Smallbone is Mexican as well. So, you know, I have a, I have, I shouldn't probably say this on the air, but I have a bone to pick always with the chosen because I don't think the Mary is very is pre, is beautiful, and I think the Mother of God must have been very beautiful, like to look at oh, also, yeah. not just her voice and her manners. 
mm, inside and out, I think she would have been uh, mm-hmm. the most amazing woman he could find, you know, strong too. I made her very strong and that was intentional because I think God chose uh, somebody different, somebody who stood out, somebody who was very, very strong to handle this. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, glad you think she's pretty. <laughs> I think she's amazing. <laughs> she did an amazing, voice. amazing job. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm so glad that the, that the nativity story has, has been put through the filter of your, your mind and your art and your, and your mm-hmm. faith and your heart, Adam. Um, just talking to you, I know it's, it's going to be very special. So our listeners mm-hmm. can know more, can read more about it and how they, where they can go see it, right? At journeytobethlehemmovie.com. Mm-hmm. And yep. as you said, that the, the, the soundtrack comes out a week earlier on November 3rd. So yeah. we'll be looking for that mm-hmm. too, because it sounds like that's going to mm-hmm. be spectacular as well. So thank you so yeah. much, Adam Anders, uh, for joining yes. us. And the, the, I wish you so much success in this beautiful oh, endeavor. Thank you so much. And now Father Roger Landry offers us, as is customary, a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a privilege for me to be with you. So we enter into the consequential conversation the risen Lord Jesus wants to have with each of us this Sunday. One with super strong language, he will make clear that we ultimately have only one Father, one Teacher, and one spiritual guide, God Himself. God is our Father. In any human parenthood, physical for the dads and moms listening, and spiritual for priests and religious, is derivative and vicarious of the Eternal Father's paternity. Jesus is our one Teacher or Master. And any other teaching must point to him who is the truth. The Holy Spirit is our one spiritual guide or rabbi. And any other guide must cooperate with the Holy Spirit to point the person along the straight path to true life and love. Intentionally using hyperbole, Jesus tells us to call no one on earth our father, teacher, or rabbi. Because he wants us first and foremost to be sons of the Father, students of Jesus the teacher, and docile followers of the Holy Spirit's guidance. Jesus himself refers to Abraham as father, tells us to honor our father and mother. So he's not saying that we can't ever use the title father or teacher or rabbi for people on earth. But rather, he wants us to recognize that all authority, truth, and guidance comes ultimately from God. So often, human parents, instructors, or guides, rather than leading us to God, sometimes can seem to want to take God's place. Jesus' concern is not really one of vocabulary, but of mentality. As he says at the end of the passage, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He wants us to become great through loving, humble service rather than through arrogance. He wants us to know that no one can take God's place as the giver of life, as our teacher and our guide. And to the extent that any parent, teacher, or guide is worthy of the name, they must first be a good child, student, and follower of the one father, teacher, and guide who is the Blessed Trinity. That said, Jesus also stresses paradoxically, that he doesn't work alone. Throughout salvation history, God has used many others as his instruments to bless us with the gifts of fatherhood, truth, and direction. He illustrates this by what he says about the scribes and the Pharisees. It's not shocking that he tells us not to follow the Pharisees' example, because as he makes clear in this Sunday's Gospel and many other times elsewhere, they were hypocrites. What is surprising is that he nevertheless tells us to follow these hypocrites' teaching. He says that they sit on Moses' seat. We know that God raised up Moses to pass on to the chosen people God's own word and direction, leading them from slavery into the Promised Land. The scribes were those who made their entire living out of knowledge of the law of the covenant God gave through Moses. The Pharisees were the people who publicly dedicated themselves full-time to trying to live by that law. Jesus said that since they sit on Moses' seat, do whatever they teach you and follow it, because it's not their words that one's following, but God's words through them. Their hypocrisy doesn't invalidate God's word, and we can't use their failure to live it as a reason for us to ignore it or not live it either. 
At the same time, Jesus gave a stern warning, which must have pained him to say, But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They were indeed hypocrites, the Greek word for actors, who were not performing the words of God, but just pretending to be faithful. They used their sitting on Moses' seat to put burdens on others, but had no love for those to whom they were preaching. They didn't lift a finger, Jesus said, didn't make the least effort to help others understand how, as we discussed last week, every one of God's commands is given out of love and meant to help us to learn how to love God and love others. Their knowledge of God's word, rather than making them holier and humbler and more loving, made them proud. Well, God's word was not annulled, their personal failure to live it invalidated the authority of their example. What does this mean for us today? If Jesus, who said that we have only one father, teacher, and guide, told us that God's work vicariously to pass on to us his words and guide through those who sit on Moses' seat, how much more would he say the same thing about those who sit not on Moses' seat, but in Christ's own cathedra? The Pope is Christ's own earthly vicar. Each bishop is a successor of the apostles. The priest is ordained by Christ through a bishop to be his own collaborators. All of them to varying degrees sit on Christ's own chair and are called to transmit not just the law of Moses given by God to the Jews, but the law of Christ given by God to the whole human race. So much did Jesus identify with them as his messengers before he sent them out to preach that he said, Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So Jesus is clearly saying to everyone in the church relative to the Pope, our bishops, and our priests, insofar as they sit on my chair and stand in my pulpit, do whatever they teach you and follow it, for it's not just they speaking, but I speaking through them. The gospel that our Holy Father or our bishop or our simple parish priest proclaims is not to be accepted as merely a human word, but as it really is God's word. The same goes for parents passing on the faith. The same goes for catechists and other teachers of the faith. To the extent that they truthfully pass on God's word, we must heed the message regardless of the qualities of the messenger. That's the first powerful truth Jesus wants us to grasp this Sunday. But there's another. Just as 2,000 years ago, Jesus didn't stop with a simple affirmation of the divine providence of his teacher's words. So too, Jesus, with great pain, likely would say about some of the clergy he has chosen or ordained, some of the parents he has blessed with children, some of those to whom he has given the vocation to teach the faith as religious educators. But don't do as they do, for they don't practice what they teach. There have certainly been popes, bishops, priests, parents, and catechists who, like the scribes and Pharisees, have failed to live the word they proclaim to others. There are certainly those who burden others with the word without showing them how it leads them to love God and others. There are those whose knowledge of the word has made them proud rather than holy. There are those who vainly seek status rather than humbly hunger to serve. Well, the example of hypocritical clergy obviously comes to mind as especially egregious. We can similarly deplore the unchristian behavior of various prominent Catholic politicians, celebrities, judges, teachers, and parents. But there's an even greater evil that spiritual fathers and mothers, teachers, and guides can commit. Jesus didn't even mention it in today's gospel because despite their defects, the scribes and the Pharisees reverenced the word of God so much that they would have never succumbed to this evil. They may have misunderstood God's word, but they would have never tried to change it, ignore it, or lie about it. That's what some prominent Catholics, clergy, theologians, or those in public life, or the family, have been doing. While sitting on Moses and Christ's seat, rather than passing on his teaching, they substitute their own. I could cite hundreds of examples of these false instructions, but here are some of the most common ones. Jesus didn't really work miracles. Scripture really isn't the word of God, but the word of men. The Eucharist isn't really Jesus' body and blood, just a symbol. It's no longer necessary to go to confession. 
Confess your sins straight to God. Catholics no longer believe in hell because no God who loved us could possibly allow us to go to hell. It's not a mortal sin to miss Mass on Sunday. The Church has no good reason not to ordain women as priests. Everyone, including non-Catholics, no matter what the state of their soul or marital situation, can and should come to Holy Communion. It's really no such thing as anymore as a mortal sin, especially in the realm of sexuality. The Church's teachings on marriage are homophobic and immoral, discriminating against those of the same sex who just want to love each other and have their loves ancient. You don't have to follow the teachings of the Pope and the bishops. You just have to follow your conscience. It's possible to be a good Catholic and be pro-choice, as long as you yourself wouldn't have an abortion. We could go on with these falsehoods. I'm sure you've heard others. But I hope the point is clear. This type of preaching malpractice and theological abuse may be the worst and most harmful damage a priest or teacher or parent can cause. Of course, we need to pray for these false prophets, but we also need to be on guard against their falsehoods. The greatest defense we can have is to know our faith well, such that we would never be gullible to such deceptions masquerading as truth. What does the Lord want from all of us who are called to pass on the faith to others? It's obvious that Jesus wants us to have integrity, to preach his words, all of them, including the most challenging messages, and to practice what he wants us to preach. In the rite of ordination of deacons, there's a beautiful moment when the candidate kneels before the bishop in front of the altar. The prelate takes the book of the gospel and places it in the candidate's hand, saying, Receive the gospel of Christ, whose herald you now have become. Believe what you read. Teach what you believe. Practice what you teach. Each of us, like a deacon, is called to become one with the word, to believe it, teach it, and live it. The greatest way we proclaim the gospel is by humbly putting it in practice. Our example is worth a thousand homilies or books or treatises. So we prepare for Sunday. We remember that each Mass is meant to help us live the lessons Jesus gives us in the Sunday's Gospel. We come to listen to the Word of God as words to be done. Called to believe what we read, teach what we believe, and practice what we teach. And that integration takes its model from Jesus in the Eucharist. The Word made flesh. As He seeks to take up His teaching chair within our own body and soul. As we go out faithfully to proclaim and live the truth. From within, Jesus wants to help us become sons and daughters of the Father. From whom all biological and spiritual Parenthood derives, to become ever greatest students of him, the master, and ever more fired up and faithful followers of the Holy Spirit's guidance. He wants to be able to say about you and me, observe and do all things whatsoever they tell you and follow their example. God bless you. Thank you, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, check out his website at catholicpreaching.com. And you can also catch his writings at EWTN's own National Catholic Register. A big thank you to all our listeners for joining us. I hope that this show was helpful. I hope that it gave you more peace and more hope and more joy. And you go with our prayers. 